You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. There's a, an old saying, and you might be able to help me finish it. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Um, this idea, this phrase took on all new meaning for me when I moved to Wichita, Kansas. And I met a man by the name of Ed Falconbridge. Isn't that the most awesome name you've ever heard? Falconbridge. It's like a detective. Ed was probably, we moved to Wichita in 99. I'm guessing Ed was 80 when we moved there. Ed was hunched over. Ed was slow. Ed drove a three-speed Ford truck that was definitely older than me. Um, But we loved Ed. And now another part of the story when Morgan and I moved to Wichita, we couldn't decide, are we going to build a house, buy a house? What? We finally decided, let's build a house. So we had to live in an apartment while it was being built. And we lived in this apartment complex, like right next to our church. And um, I remember very vividly when moving in, my mother-in-law's horror and seeing the bullet hole in the window of our apartment. But that's another story for another day. Um, so we lived there a couple months. And one morning, Morgan called me and she was like, the weirdest thing just happened. And uh, she said she was coming out of the apartment, going to go to work. She's got the trash with her and uh, throws the trash over into the dumpster and hears, oh, it's like, what in the world is that? Like, like, is there a human in the dumpster? Yes, there was. She looks in there and there's Ed Falconbridge. Uh, Ed was a dumpster diver to the nth degree. If you ever went and saw Ed's detached garage behind his house, I couldn't go in there. There was so much stuff. Um, But lots of people's trash became Ed's treasure. And I think about Ed when I hear Jesus say, um, where your treasure is, there your heart may be also. You know, it's, it's funny, the reason why Ed went looking for stuff all the time. He didn't keep anything he found. I mean, ultimately he would find stuff and give it away. Um, Now, however, I will say like the overalls he was wearing, he did find at one time in the dumpster. But here's the thing. Jesus says, um, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that we value most, those are the things that our life is going to be given over to. And so understanding this, our trash, and I don't mean the stuff that's in the can in the kitchen uh, that we're getting rid of, but our leftovers, if you will, maybe a even better way to put it would be our surplus of disinterest. Do you have a surplus of disinterest? You know, the stuff that like five years ago, I have to have this. I need this real bad. And if like, for instance, your wife was sitting in the bedroom with you and said, hey, do you know what this is? And you said, uh, no. So I could give it away? Sure. My surplus of disinterest is probably not God's treasure because those are not things I value any longer. The Lord's clearly laid out a standard of what he wants and what he expects from me and from you. He wants my heart. He he wants my whole life. He wants it to be that my affection would be for him, that he would be the thing I value. Our worship, then, it reveals what we think about or how we honor 
um, how we respect the Lord. And not just the songs that we sing, but the way that we live our life. It reveals what we think about God. The priest in Israel, at the time Malachi wrote his book, the time he delivered this message, the priest had either forgotten this or possibly worse, had just plain flat forsaken it. Maybe they just didn't care anymore. This morning, we're going to see Malachi confront the disobedience and sin of the priest. In doing this, the Lord is going to confront the very heart of our worship. And he does this by examining our actions and our attitudes. So if you'll look with me in Malachi, last book of the Old Testament... Last week, as we opened it up, God comes to his people and says, I have loved you. And the people question, well, how have you loved us? And the Lord responds by telling them, I have loved you with a sovereign love. I have loved you with an unconditional love. I have loved you freely. I have sought you out. I have covered you. I have pursued you. I have loved you. And he goes on to say, and because of this, with your own eyes, you will see and you will proclaim, great are you, Lord, which we just did together. You will proclaim, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Now look with me in verse 6. God now says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear or my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? So God moves from confronting the people to now confronting their leaders, the priest. I'm sure that you are aware of this, but organizations, companies, nations, and yes, even churches rise and fall on their leadership. Jesus says in Luke 6, 40, a servant or a student is not greater than his master. A disciple is not greater than his teacher. What's he mean by this? Well, you're only gonna progress as far as the person who is leading you. And so Jesus, or the Lord comes and he says to the people here, to the priest, I'm a father and I am a master. I want to ask you a question this morning for you to just think on. Do you tend to think about God more as a father or do you tend to think about God more as a master? When you think about God, do you think about him as a loving, giving father? Do you think about him with that kind of adoration and affection? Or do you maybe think about him more as a, 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 a faithful master that you surrender to and that you serve. Most of us are going to tend to think more about him one way or the other. Well, here's the thing. We have to somehow figure out how to, how to understand and to think of him as both. He's both. We honor him as father. We respect him as master. And God comes to the priest and he says, You've neglected both. You've neglected both of these. So then what did the priest do? The same thing that the people did earlier. They begin arguing 
with God. How have we despised your name? It's like the priest huddled up and they come back to God and they say, hey, so yeah, God, we've talked about this and we think maybe you're missing something because we don't see it. How, how are you telling us we've despised your name? And you look at this and you go, okay, these are the priests. How in the world could they be delusional enough that they're that off the mark, that they're, they're missing it by this much, that they, they're not seeing things as God did? Here's how. At some point in time, the priests began coming up with their own standard. At some point in time, the word of God, the standard of God was being abandoned and the priests began progressively coming up with their own standard. And so they now ignorantly inquire of God, how have we despised your name? And God's going to respond to them. Look with me in verse seven. Here's how. By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. You see, the people were bringing sacrifices and maybe they were exactly what God had asked for or maybe they were a substitute. And even if they were what God had asked for, the priest would take the best for themselves and bring the leftovers to the Lord rather than vice versa, which God has always said, bring your first fruits, bring your firstborn, bring me your best Verse eight, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. In other words, God is saying, you'll do this, but now you'll come and you'll ask me for my favor. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. You want to know how you've despised my name. God is saying to the priest, you want to know why your worship is worthless to me. It's because you bring me something less than your best. David in Samuel went up to the threshing floor and was prepared to make a sacrifice to God. And the person who owned the threshing floor said, oh, well, here, you can have the floor and you can have the animals and everything. It's a gift. And David said, no, 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 no. I'm gonna pay you and I'm gonna pay you full price. And here's why. I will not offer anything to God that costs me nothing. Malachi comes to the priest and says, You're bringing me something less than your best. You know what you're doing? You're bringing me something I didn't ask for. Because you bring me the lame and the leftovers rather than the first and the best. God had commanded the people to bring the first and to bring the best. And he was serious about it. How serious is he? Well, here's one example. In Leviticus chapter 10, Aaron had two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and they were priests. And somewhere along the line, like the priests here in Malachi, they just started coming up with their own standard. And they were very reckless with what God had said. 
And they began keeping the best for themselves. And they began offering to God what God called unauthorized sacrifices. And what did God do? He consumed them both with fire. Poof, they were no more. They were bringing unauthorized sacrifices into the temple. And God says, I'm very, very serious about what I ask from my people. The Lord says to them, your disobedient sacrifices reveal that you don't fear me or respect me. Your half-hearted worship reveals that you don't honor me as your loving father. But then in irony here, verse nine, but you'll come to me and you'll ask me in your time of need. Oh God, supply our need. Oh God, take care of us. In other words, what God is saying to the priest is you don't want my fellowship, but you'll still ask me for my favor. And did you notice what God, how he described this? He didn't say, you know what, priest, you're kind of missing the mark with this. You know what? I think maybe you didn't understand what I asked you. Nope. God says, is this not evil? And he comes back and says it again. You offer me something I didn't ask for. Is this not evil? You offer me something less than your best. Is this not evil? Friends, hear this like clear. The Lord's love toward you and me is never based on our actions, ever. But our actions reveal our love toward him. God's love toward us is never based on our actions or our obedience, but our actions and our obedience reveal whether or not we love him as father. We yield to him as master. Our obedience to him is the evidence of our love for him. And one of the ways in keeping with what Malachi is confronting here with the priest, one of the ways that we do this, one of the ways this is revealed throughout our lives is by obeying the principle and the command to tithe, to bring back the firstborn, the first fruits of our, of our labor, to bring back the first 10% of our wealth. The Lord watches not only what, but how we give. He's also watching what we do with what we have left. The Lord watches what we give, but maybe even more so he's examining what we give out of what we have. Here's what I mean. No probably better example of this than in the Gospels when Jesus is in the temple and he stops the disciples to point out this widow who's come into the temple. Watch this woman. I haven't seen a heart like this. Big deal, Jesus. She's given like two shekels. I mean, like, who really cares that she brought her dime, her two cents? And then Jesus lets them know, yeah, but that's all that she has. She's, she's bringing it all. And she'll walk back out of here in faith that God will supply her needs, that God will provide, and she'll be back and she'll bring it all again. Think about this for a moment. Jesus comes to us and says, bring me your sin, all of it. I, I paid for it. 
Bring it all to me. I'm going to atone and pay for all of it. And maybe we're a little shaky with that at first, but at some point we grasp what Christ has done and we say, well, glory, hallelujah, I'm bringing it all, all of it, because I got a lot of it. I'm bringing the past, I'm bringing the present, even the future, Jesus, all the sin. I'm bringing it to you. You can have it. Amen. We will bring that, won't we? We will. The apostle Paul says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches. And James says that every good and perfect gift that you and I have in our life is not from our hard work. It's not from our investments. It's not because we got lucky and played the lottery. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights who does not change. Jesus The word clearly teaches us over and over again. My God will supply, bring back the first fruits, bring back the tithe. And there are times, if we're being honest, that in our flesh, in our humanity, maybe we hesitate. Maybe we make excuses. We maybe don't look at things the way we ought to. Here's what we maybe sometimes do. This is what I have. And so I get what I have. And the first thing I'm gonna do is I gotta pay for the mortgage. I mean, they'll take my house, right? And I gotta pay for my car because they'll come take that back. And... Then there's DirecTV. And look, Jesus, I don't know if you know what DirecTV costs these days, but man, it's crazy. And then there's the phones. Man, those phones. We had two, but now we have four. We had three, but AT&T said, you know, it's actually cheaper if you have four than three, which I don't understand, but it has to be true because they told me. And we got to pay for baseball and this and all that stuff. And the next thing you know, we go, oh, yeah. Here you go, God. Hmm. Y'all, this is my fourth donut this morning. (laughs) So I could be laid out in the next 10 minutes. The worst part of this is there's also something in me that thinks that like God is enamored with this. Like all of heaven stops when I finally throw it his way. Like we can go on now. Brian has finally brought his offering. No. Something happens though in that I will freely bring him all of my sin. But then everything else that he's poured into my life, sometimes I'm a bit reluctant to bring it back to him. Why would we not bring back to him what he's required of us out of what he's given us in the first place. You know why? I'll tell you why for me. It's because in those moments, there is something or someone else that still owns my heart other than him. There's 
there's something or someone else that my heart still belongs to. And Jesus said, hey, Brian, where your treasure is, the things that you value, the things that you live your life in pursuit of, that's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart may be also. God, think about this. I know you know the answer. God did not give a lame sacrifice on our behalf, did he? No, what did God give? God gave his only begotten, perfect, sinless son on our behalf. And so why would God need to expect a lame sacrifice from us, his adopted sons and daughters, who are only his adopted sons and daughters because of the perfect sacrifice that he gave on our behalf? Our actions, our obedience, reveal our love toward God. They reveal what it is that we worship. Well, Malachi says, so does our attitude. So does our attitude. Look with me in verse 13. He says, but you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what's been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Worship had become like a burden and a job for the priest. It was no longer like an honor and a pleasure to serve the Lord and serve the people. It was now just something that we were required to do because they get to the place and they say, what a weariness this is. Oh my gosh, got to go talk to God on behalf of the people again. (sighs) Got to go into the temple and sacrifice on behalf of the people. It had become just a laborious routine for them. There's two kinds of weariness. And it's important for us to understand the difference because one of them is honestly something that we need. We need to recognize it and it's okay. But the other one, maybe not so much. You can become weary of and you can become weary from. In other words, there is a weariness of ministry And there is a weariness from ministry. Malachi is confronting weariness of ministry with the priest. It's all become a routine. It's become an obligation. They're doing this half-heartedly at best. Now they've probably moved into hard-hearted. They don't care anymore. But weariness from ministry, weariness from ministry understands that Loving, serving, leading, and ministering, it will wear you out. It will. I don't know if you're aware of this. I think a lot of you are. Bearing one another's burdens is hard work. It, it interrupts life. 
but man, is it worth it? It's how Jesus lived and it's how he calls us to live. I know a lot of you will remember this story, but I think at times we read stories and maybe because when we're kids, they're made up a certain way. We don't really think through the implications of them, but you remember that Jesus took a nap in a boat in a typhoon, right? You remember this? Like there are grown men, we call them the disciples, who are screaming like little girls, we're all going to die. No offense, girls. They're screaming, we're going to die. They're waking Jesus up. Don't you care about us? Jesus is taking a nap in the middle of a typhoon on the Sea of Galilee. Why? Why was he doing this? I'll tell you why. He was smooth, worn out. Jesus was exhausted. And if you go back and read in the Gospels what was happening before that, I'll tell you, he was ministering to people. But you know what? He was not weary of, he was weary from. There was maybe those couple of times where Jesus, in all compassion and patience, said, how, must, how long must I continue to answer these things? Which was Jesus saying, Lord, I'm just praying for the day that the Spirit comes and that they all begin to understand. Jesus never got to the point of saying, oh my heavens, could you people just go away I mean, Martha, if you ask that question again for crying out loud, you're just not coming to supper. (laughs) Jesus was weary from. And you know what? That's why Jesus is able to say to you and me, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is not saying, come to me, all of you who are just fed up with the routine and half-heartedly walking through, and I'll make you feel better. No, you need to come to Jesus if that's you, and you need to come in repentance of, Lord, please bring renovation to my heart. But Jesus is saying, if you're worn out and you're weary from bearing one another's burdens and walking with one another, come to me and I will walk with you. I won't carry it for you, but I will carry it with you. Jesus can only say that because that's what he did. Our worship... And our worship is not just the songs that we come in here and sing together. Our worship is the things that we value most. And see, what we, we want to do when we come together as the body of Christ is the things that we declare that it be true that those are the things that we value most. That he is the thing that we value most. But our worship reveals, it's revealed through our actions and through our attitude. And that's what Malachi is confronting with the priest. This wasn't happening. Our worship is evidenced when we honor the Lord with our wealth, with what God has given us. And and this is an issue of us understanding. We are not owners, we're managers and stewards. God is honored when we honor him. Our worship is evidenced when we honor him with our work, with what we do with our time and our days and how we love our neighbors. But you know what? Our worship is evidenced when we honor the Lord with our weariness. 
Because you see, if you grow weary from bearing others' burdens, if you grow weary from ministering and you don't allow the Lord to bear that with you, it will lead you and me right to where the priests were. And now, you know, you could call time out here at any point and say, now, wait a minute, Brian. Isn't God confronting the priest, not the people? Great point. But now let's move into the new covenant. And because of what Jesus does, has done, is doing, who are now the priest? We are. We are a priesthood of believers. That is now on you and me as the people of God. And while some are called to vocationally live their life as pastors and ministers, you and I are all called to the ministry of reconciliation, to the ministry of bearing one another's burdens. And so God confronting the priest here, it it flows right on down to you and me. And so as we are ministering to one another and with one another and bearing one another's burdens, you're going to get weary. You are. And if you try to do that alone, if you try to bear that alone, you will eventually grow bitter, half-hearted, maybe even hard-hearted. And eventually you will say, I don't want any more of this. You're not going to want any more of it, I promise you. Because you're not called or cut out to do that on your own. God says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, through my strength. And so the Lord is honored when you and I wind up on our face saying, Lord, I can't do this on my own. You've got to give me strength. And he says, done deal. I'm there. You know what's so great in the verses that we've read this morning is that in this instance, God has actually chosen to tell you and I why. We talk about it a lot, don't we? That there are times that we don't get the answer why. I have to trust in God's sovereignty. He said, here's what I've called you to do. And I may not understand why until eternity But in this instance, God has said, bring me your worship, bring me your lives, bring me your honor. I am father, I am master, I am worthy of it. But then he says in verse 14, because I am a great king. That's why. I am a great king. Jesus Christ is king of kings, Lord of lords. His name is above all names. God says not once, not twice, but three times in here, you will fear, you will honor, you will respect my great name for I am a great king. And friends, here's what you and I desperately need to understand. The great king does not need your worship or mine but he wants it and he deserves it. He's worthy of it. That our lives would be laid back at his feet. You know, a gift, it, it reveals 
what or how the giver feels about the receiver, doesn't it? Every one of you in this room, every one of us in this room, at least once in our life at this point, have gotten a gift and we've had to somehow muster the ability to fake like, oh boy, oh great, thanks, yeah. I don't want to bring that to the Lord. I've probably shared this with y'all before, but this is one of my favorite stories. My mother-in-law, for several years in a row at Christmas, I would open a gift from her and I'm just gonna come out with it. It was ugly. She would give me a shirt and, you know, she would buy me the, the Lacoste shirt with the alligator on it. Like, those aren't like $10. And I would open it and be like, oh, wow. Well, after like the third year of this, she finally explains to me, here's what I did. I go into the, it's hard to know what I should buy you, Brian. So I just go into the the store and I say to them, I need the ugliest shirt that you have. And they'll argue with me. We don't have any ugly shirts. And then finally I get them to find the one that they at least think would be the least attractive shirt in the store. And that's the one I buy for you because I know you'll return it and get the one that you want. And she was right. But you know, what we bring to the Lord, do you think about, do you take time before you come to this place on a Sunday to gather with the people of God, to worship him together? Do you take time to prepare yourself? I I think at times maybe we come in and, It's like, man, I hope they got something good for me today. Hope we got a good word, something I can use. I don't know what that means. Rather than, Lord, prepare my heart to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ as we come together to honor and worship and revere who you are and what you have done. And you know what, Lord, in the process, I'm pretty sure we're all gonna be changed and that will be great. But it's all about you. The priest had forgotten what worship was all about. Their hearts no longer belong to the Lord. Our worship, it reveals what we value, who we value. And I believe that you and I, especially as we're about to turn the corner into the Advent season and approach the celebration of the coming of the great King, that we want our hearts and the things that we value to be of eternal significance. The Apostle Paul rounds out 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 by saying, Jesus Christ is a gift too wonderful for words. What an inexpressible gift God has given us. Let's pray together. 
Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.